Welcome to Pull Up A Chair. I'm Bina Mehta, the chair of KPMG in the UK. And in each episode, I'm talking to some of the world's most influential leaders and thinkers about sustainable growth, what it means to them, why it matters, and how they think they can achieve it. For today's episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Bill Thomas, KPMG's global chairman. Bill has served in the role since 2017 and leads over 265,000 people across 143 countries. I'll be asking him how his leadership style has changed in that time, how to achieve sustainable growth on an international scale, if he thinks AI will be a force for good, and whether he's optimistic about the future. Bill Thomas, please pull up a chair. Welcome, Bill, and thank you very much for joining me today. Um, You're the global chair of KPMG, and you've been in that role since 2017. You were previously the chairman of KPMG Americas region, and prior to that, which is how we got to know each other, you were the uh, chairman of Canada. So um, lovely to have you on the podcast. You now lead an organisation of 265,000 colleagues across 143 countries. So today's conversation is going to be really interesting because it's all about sustainable growth and sustainable growth on an international scale. So I'm going to start with the question I ask all my guests. What does sustainable growth mean to you? Well, let me just say first, uh, Bina, thanks for the chance to do this. I, re- I really appreciate it. And obviously, I think it's spectacular that you've done this for so long with so many different people, get so many different perspectives. But so I'm no expert on this topic, but I would just say, as I think about sustainable growth, I think about the, you know, the, the, the way I relate to our business, which is from three different constituencies, our, our people, our clients, and society as a whole. And so for me, sustainable growth would be you know, growth that, uh, that doesn't detract for any, uh, from any one of those three constituents that hopefully enhances all three at the same time. And it doesn't have to be uh, equal but it has to be uh, it has to be constructive and incrementally better for each of the three as we uh, as we encourage or or uh, or see that growth happen. So to me, to me, that's how I think about it. And and a lot of the conversations that I've had have really been about, and you've said it. Not all three necessarily have to be enhanced at the same level. But do you really think, um, given your perspective of running the business globally and also the interactions you have with businesses, do you think it is possible to meet the needs of people, planet and profit? Well, it's a really good question. And, and I, th- I think if you go back in time, I feel businesses have figured out how to, uh, how to be, be beneficial to people and still earn a profit for hundreds, if not thousands of years. And... As we thought about it more recently, we've recognized that that has come at a cost to the planet, and uh, and now businesses are facing into the responsibility that they have to the planet. So I, I'm very optimistic that you know innovation, sort of uh, new methodologies, new cultures, new sort of uh, efforts taken on the part of business once they add that to the fold will enable uh, business to, to meet both the needs of sort of people, planet, and profit. It might take time, might take a lot of work, but as they add that to the mix, I'm very confident that we can figure it out. Yeah, I think you've, you've really captured that in the, the word responsibilities um, and, and recognizing those responsibilities and delivering on those. 
So you've, as I mentioned before, you've been in your role since 2017. Um, I don't think any one of us could have predicted the myriad of circumstances and events you've had to navigate the firm through. When I talk to leaders on the podcast, we talk about the pandemic, the impact of the pandemic, supply chain, geopolitics, the sort of the intergenerational th- uh, impact of hybrid working. How have you seen the needs of clients change over that period? Well, certainly it has been uh, an unbelievable time in, in every aspect of that word. I mean, unbelievable from a great time to, to be a leader in today's world because you, you truly have things coming at you all the time. You get to make a difference. And, and, but it is, it is unbelievable. Nobody, as you said, could have predicted it. But it's changed, I think, probably I mean, it's many ways. But if I think right off the top of my head, two, two main ways. One, way more complex, way more complex, even in the last six or seven years since I've been in this role. And for all the reasons you mentioned. So you know, the environment that people are navigating through, totally unpredictable six months from now, what uh, that environment will look like. And uh, you know, six months ago, things that were there are no longer there. So I think the complexity that clients are dealing with, I've seen, I've seen that. And the other one, not surprisingly to anybody on, you know, that's listening to this will be speed. It's just the pace at which uh, clients have to respond, the expectations of people, society to uh, respond is faster than I've ever seen it. And that requires uh, a pretty, pretty significant effort on the part of clients to, uh, to respond to that. I think one way of sort of seeing that is through the CEO outlook that you launch every year and you see the sort of the lottery of how how the issues have kind of moved up and down. You know, normally you would see things sort of creep up the ladder uh, in terms of the outlook. I don't know whether you wanted to just share a few words on what the outlook said this year. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, you know, it's a really good example, Bina, because if you go back uh, a year, geopolitics, not in the top five risks identified by the 1,300 CEOs that we uh, survey every year, this year, number one. And, you know, two years ago, hybrid working for all the reasons that people can expect. So, So to your point, I mean, those top five risks, you, you know, if you go back 10 years, they were probably much more static year in, year out. Now they sort of, you know, go up and down the chart uh, with, the, with the times. And as, as clients are dealing with these different issues, uh, and then you talk about complexity and speed, how do you, and I can say this, I can see it because I sit here, but it would be really nice for our audience to hear. How do you think your leadership has had to change? Well, you definitely have to respond to those uh, to those needs of our clients. So they, not surprisingly, I think you, you, you think about, okay, if that's what they're going through, then how do we need to respond? And, you know, on the complexity side, certainly what they expect is kind of one, uh, you know, joined up KPMG sort of coming at them from, you know, the, the full gamut of all that we have to offer because the solutions that they are looking for require us to be uh, sort of serving them from all aspects. Uh, so, so there's, there's been that. We also have to, we have to move faster. Our clients are moving faster. We have to move faster. Our clients expect that. And when you look across KPMG and how we're doing globally, um, where do you think our biggest growth opportunity or potential is? Well, there's a lot of really big themes uh, that create they're creating that complexity. And if I sort of uh, like to talk to it, I always talk about the concepts of sort of talent, tech, and ESG. And um, you know, we're a people business, so so talent will always be so important. And and that 
And that thinks about sort of the environment that we're creating for our team. You know, as you said, we've got, you know, close to 300,000 people around the world. I mean, that's a, that's a big aspect of it. From the client front, technology and or AI, if you put that in one bucket, that's, uh, that's hugely important for our clients. It's transforming their business. And then ESG, every single conversation I have around the world, uh, it doesn't matter where I am, ESG comes up every time, every time. And we're going to unpack each of those. So I couldn't have set that one up better okay. myself. Um, Glad I'm helping. <laughs> um, you've, you've often said ESG is the watermark of everything we do. And um, we use that in sort of the way that we talk to our clients. But the debate around ESG has really sort of swung from woke, you know, uh, capitalism through to greenwashing. And and you just said that, you know, that's a conversation. ESG is a topic of conversation in, in a lot of client conversations, whether it's the urgency, whether it's equal importance. I'd just like to get your perception of ESG and how, um, if we're, you know, if we're really facing into it in the right way. Yeah, well, so first thing, uh, definitely, you, you know, the concepts of business having a responsibility to address uh, sort of, you know, social issues, environmental issues and governance issues today, tomorrow, and well into the future, that's not going away. So whether we call it ESG or that's not appropriate anymore, people don't like that answer. The fact of the matter is, is the underlying uh, issues, the underlying responsibility is here to stay. So we can call it something different if people want, but, but the efforts being undertaken should be consistent. And that's the way, uh, that's the way I look at it. And so then, then if you, if you think about, uh, if you think about that, um, I mean, it's, it's fascinating because then it becomes very simple. Like what's business's responsibility to drive a better society? What's business's responsibility to ensure that we're facing into the environmental crisis that we, what's business's responsibility to ensure that we're properly governed, we're leading by example and, 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 and people can rely on that, uh, that governance to, to, to create that sort of uh, more sustainable uh, sort of future that we all want. Those issues, whatever we call them, they're, they're here to stay. We're beginning to see sort of consistency in the way that people report, the consistency in the, pay, the, the understanding of what organizations are doing. But in your, in your experience, have you seen sort of differences across the world in sort of regions? Oh, yeah, there's lots of differences. I mean, it's interesting because the conversation is everywhere, but the differences are, are quite significant. So, you know, in, in, uh, in, in Europe, definitely further ahead because they're much further along in terms of metrics. What gets measured gets done. They've got thousands of public company clients that have to report. That's creating the kind of sort of momentum around this topic, you know, both from a sort of how do I report? How do I make sure that uh, I'm doing all the right things that are required uh, of me? But at the end of the day, the reporting is one thing. You know, what everybody is really sort of like uh, after and what we should all be focused on is how do we get a different answer, right? It's, but you have to have that baseline. So in other parts of the world, uh, definitely different conversations happening. Uh, some, some debating, you know, sort of, you know, whether this is, you know, how it's going to materialize, when it's going to materialize. But the fact of the matter is, is I think everybody, no matter where I go, every single part of the world, even in the last six months, I've been in every continent, it, uh, it comes up everywhere. So people care about it. They've, they recognize the responsibility. And I think that's definitely better and 
much further along than we were even a short few years ago. I think um, also because these are really big, complex problems, right? Where it's not just about climate and our our footprint and what we're doing. It's about equality more generally. And it's not just, that's not about representation, that's equality for society and prosperity. And these are quite difficult challenges that require countries and regions and nations to work together. Whereas, you know, as businesses, we operate in the localities we operate in. Well, and I, I actually uh, believe that that's uh, incredibly uh, important uh, for business to recognize that responsibility. And for our firm, I feel uh, we have an added responsibility because we are in all those countries. I mean, we're in practically every country in the world. We have a diverse team of sort of audit, tax, and advisory, uh, and we're helping clients, we're helping governments, we're helping regulators, we're helping society as a whole address these needs. And if you think about the kind of the magnitude of the challenges that we're facing, then it is really going to uh, require us as a firm, and I would say firms like ours, to face into that responsibility because we have this unbelievable footprint to be able to do that. And we take that very seriously. Right. We, do, we often talk about it, don't we, the footprint and the handprint. It's not just what we do, it's the impact that we help others make in the, in, in the community as 100%. well. 100%. Um, we talked about technology, and AI is the topic of the moment. Um, KPMG, led by you, invested significantly in this space last year. I don't know if you want to share a little bit about that, but what would be really helpful is to understand how you see AI complement what we do for our clients. Yeah, and, and it's, it's been an unbelievable journey. And uh, as I said, you know, if you had this conversation a year ago, certainly it would be in, in the discussion somewhere, but nowhere near the prominence that uh, it would have today. And that's just accelerating. And, and, you know, every single day in the news, there's another chapter being written on, on, this, uh, on this trend. I do think that uh, it's going to transform uh, businesses, uh, ours as well. But, and, and I don't say that about every technological advance. I mean, there's some, some that I've probably been more skeptical over the years to say people have said that's going to transform our business. Is it? Is it really? I've, I've probably been more skeptical. This one, I feel definitely that's the case. And I look at it in the context of when we have the talent that we have, incredible people in every corner of the world, they use their sort of ingenuity, their sort of judgment and their brains uh, together with technology like this, with, with uh, advanced uh, artificial intelligence technology, you think to yourself, the combination thereof is going to drive better solutions sort of uh, better answers to the most complex problems, the ability to uh, integrate and, co and uh, collaborate with each other, our, our clients included, society more broadly to try and address some of these challenges. I mean, the aggregate of all of that is a, uh, is a tremendous step forward in the quality of the answers that we can help our clients find. And you asked about uh, sort of investments where we're making. You know, we're making a lot of investments with uh, with many different partners around the world. But you know, as an example, one of the ones that uh, that we've uh, that we've made recently was a very very significant multi billion dollar investment with Microsoft into uh, into their AI technology. I can tell you that they are a leader in this space, and to uh, to. To, to create the alliance relationship and the, and the partnering with them that we've done is really exciting for uh, the combination that we can now uh, provide to our clients and the excitement that it creates for our people. 
And it's certainly exciting because Claire Barclay came on to one of the previous episodes of the podcast and was talking about AI and, and how it was impacting their business and how it was going to impact us, which shortly shortly thereafter did impact us. So that was really helpful. Timing to is good. Time yeah. is everything. Um, look, we talk about AI being a force for good, and maybe the horse has already bolted, um, because given the sophistication of AI models, do you think regulation is going to be able to keep up with this? Well, uh, there's no doubt that regulation uh, has to play a pivotal role here, and it's really important. And and if you if you think about advancements like this, it's not uh, unusual for regulation to uh, be running to catch up with uh, the sort of innovation that's happening on the, sort of the front line and 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 the uh, and the interaction with business. So um, so yes, I think regulation is going to be incredibly important. Uh, yes, I think it's a little behind now, but I'm not surprised by that. But organizations like ours uh, and many others around the world, we're not waiting for the regulation. Like one of the things that's incredibly important for us, if you think about who we are, what we stand for, is a responsible uh, AI framework that we have that underpins everything that we do. So making sure that it's anchored in our values, making sure that it's complementary to our people, so it's kind of talent-centric, and making sure that that you know we have things like data privacy and uh, and uh, ethical sort of uh, application, sort of front and center in uh, in the things we do internally, how we use it for our business. And then equally what we, uh, what we offer to our clients and working with them to find the solutions to their problems. So will the regulation catch up? Sure. Um, but we're not going to wait for that. And you talk about talent-centric. AI is one element of helping our workforce, a quarter of a million people across the world. I just wondered if you wanted to share a little bit more about what the firm is doing globally to equip our colleagues to adapt and respond to the, exactly the challenges we've been talking about. Yeah, well, it's, it, it's funny eh? because you've got people in every corner of the world and they want these tools uh, immediately, right? So, uh, so you want to just get them in their hands so that they can, uh, they can use their innovation to, uh, to do that. But you've got to do that in a, uh, in a way that's, you know, that's, that's careful and organized for the reasons I described. So as I think about it, you know, bringing that to life uh, for our people, uh, you have to make sure, first off, you're making the investments. We talk about Microsoft. That's a really important first step. you got to make sure that you're providing the training so they know how to use it. Then you create a, uh, a really safe space where they can innovate and, uh, and kind of play around with the tools in a way that is, uh, is, is, is well sort of like protected. And then we want to be able to, you know, make sure we're providing sort of uh, real-time innovative solutions with our clients. So that all, all of a sudden involves uh, important engagements with our clients and then scale. So those are probably four or five areas where you go from really interesting concept to a tangible on the ground. This is what it feels like sort of to, uh, to our people in every corner of the world. Just talking about colleagues, I think 70% of our workforce globally is under the age of 35. Um, how do you listen to the voice of our younger colleagues and how do you bring that into the decision making that you make at Global? Well, it's an incredibly important uh, question because obviously with uh, stats like that, you realize like, like uh, how, we, uh, how we respond and, and, and how we interact with, uh, with that age group is critical. So a, a few uh, tangible ways. So first off, I think uh, very practically, we have a next generation council 
you know, which is made up of, uh, of, of individuals sort of right in that age group uh, from all over the world. I uh, engage with them on a regular basis. I have for the last six years. We change it up every once in a while. So that's listening to them and, and, and actually sort of giving them a voice is incredibly important. The, the second thing I think is just really making sure that, you know, who we are, what we stand for um, resonates. So you go back to responsibility of businesses like ours in today's world. It has to be more than, you know, partner profitability. It has to be what's the difference you're making to society. And we have, as I said, this incredible responsibility in a post-pandemic world to help build a more sustainable society coming out of that experience. 27-year-old average age people care a lot about that. They care about what KPMG stands for. Do we, do we have the right values? Do we resonate with the, uh, the experiences and, and the way that they look at the world? And uh, if we can't answer that question, yes, then we need to really think hard and start to think uh, differently. But I'm very confident that who we are, where we're going, and what we stand for in today's world highly resonates with that age group. And just picking up on that, recently you led the Global Values Week, the first ever Global Values Week we've had at KPMG, and you interviewed Jacinda Ardern. I mean, what an incredible interview and what great insights in terms of what leadership really is when you're coming from a place of real difficulty. Um, And it really did put the values right at the heart of our culture, and it really created a lot of debate and conversation in teams across countries uh, and globally as well. How important the values have been to you? Yeah, well, first, I think the Values Week, and obviously it was started here in the UK, and we took it up. Uh, we, we basically copied the UK firm here and brought it to, uh, to the global firm. It was incredibly important to see our, and it was exciting and inspiring to see our people all over the, uh, the world sort of engaging in that. And, you know, uh, that interview with Jacinda Ardern was just unbelievable. It was such a uh, honor to have the opportunity. But as I think about values, I think about, what, you know they're real when they impact the decisions that you make. When, and, and, and I think about the decisions that I make and you think about, you know, am I making them with, uh, with integrity at the heart of everything we're doing? Do I have sort of, you know, do I have the knowledge or more importantly and more likely, do I have people around me that have sort of the excellence to be able to sort of address the issue you know, do we have the courage to make the tough, uh, the tough decisions, the hard right decisions, as I like to call them? You know, are we really thinking about doing it together as opposed to individually? And then last but certainly not least, you know, in everything that we do, do we look at the sort of the opportunity to make something better? So are we doing it for better? I think about those five values and I, I'm hard pressed to think about any decision that I make that doesn't involve many of them, if not you know, sort of like uh, all of them. And if you think about the concept of, to, of for better, you can think about it for better for the people engaging with each other. So whether it's our teams, for better for society as a whole, for better for our clients, for better for almost any constituency. And that, I think, the ability for people to think about that value, think about how it applies to them and make it personal is what makes it tangible because then they start to really engage and behave in a way that I think is, is inspiring. Well, you're inspiring and you lead very elegantly. However, I know chairing a global firm comes with complexities, especially in a partnership model. Um, How do you navigate the different cultures and working practices, despite having this sort of really core underlying set of values and principles? 
Well, first, thank you, Bina. It's very kind of you. But it, it is it is a challenge, and, and it's a privilege. And, and I kind of look at it that way. At first, you know, so for me to navigate that, that sort of multicultural environment, and truly multicultural because you're in every country, you, uh, you, first you have to educate yourself. So I've spent a lot of time over so many years really uh, not being shy about asking questions that maybe I should know the answer to when I, uh, when I first started on this journey, but uh, were really important to me to understand the why. And, um, and, I, and I've enjoyed that. That has been very rewarding for me. Uh, I, feel, I feel honored to have had the chance. Secondly, you know, I don't stay at home and I uh, get out. And, and uh, you know, for example, I've probably been in, as I said, I've been in most continents, if not all of them in the last 90 days. So many countries, I can't even uh, rattle them off. But when I'm there, you get a chance to engage with our people, engage with clients in that area, regulators, governments, and you really get a feel for building relationship capital in the, in the marketplace and, and really recognizing that you know, that's the best way to learn is actually tangibly be on the ground. And that combination of kind of self-education and being out there has fared me incredibly well. People are very generous if they know your motive is to want to learn. And, uh, and I've been very lucky with a lot of really generous people over the years. A great example of lifelong learning, Bill. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it um, is. You also have the privilege of talking to many clients across the globe as, 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 you, as you travel. Um, and as you look forward to the challenges that businesses are facing, just like we are, what do you think are the qualities that future leaders will need that may be slightly different to what we have today? Well, I think, I think, I think leading, I always say uh, leading is really about, uh, about, you know, the leaders in our firm aren't the people with the titles. The leader in our fir leaders in our firm are the people who bring the people. So uh, I don't think that's going to change. I mean, I think if you go back in history, uh, leaders have been the uh, leaders that people follow. If, uh, if you look at today, what we really need is for people to uh, sort of, you know, bring people together and, and different diverse sets of people with, you know, with, with all with something to contribute to very, very complex challenges. So this notion of, you know, of, of uh, leaders being able to engage genuinely and authentically with, uh, with individuals such that those individuals are willing to sort of go on the journey with them. That, uh, whether that answers your question or not, that's, that's kind of, I see that as tried and true in the past, very relevant for today, and it will be equally important going forward. I totally agree with you. And if I'm allowed to put words into your mouth, I think it is about inspiring followership. Yeah, perfect. Future leaders, I love that. I have to ask you this question. You've been very vocal and very clear about the commitment of KPMG to the multidisciplinary model. I think a lot of what we've talked about today really goes to the heart of that conversation. But I would like you to be able to share with our audience why it's important and why it's the right thing. Well, there's two really important aspects to this, and you hit on one of them. And that is, I truly believe that uh, our organization is uh, uniquely positioned with, with relatively few others to, to truly help build that more sustainable society that we talked about. In order to do that, it's going to take every single one of our close to 300,000 people working together in every corner of the globe. So 
audit, tax, and advisory all across the world, helping work with NGOs, businesses, and governments in every corner of the globe to bring those sort of very comprehensive solutions to, uh, to, to challenges that we face. That frankly, only a few years ago, people said, well, that will never happen. And actually, yes, it will. Yes, it did. And yes, it will happen again. So I feel KPMG is better together in every sense of the world, not just it word, not just for us, but also for society. So that's one aspect of it. And then the other one, frankly, being is very cultural, which is our firm has, uh, has been in existence for over 150 years in some countries. And that has withstood. Think about the last 150 years. Think about what our organization has withstood. It's withstood that because it has been, uh, it has been what it is. And so in order for a group, I just don't believe that a group at one moment in time should monetize the goodwill that's been built up over those hundreds of years, in some instances, sort of for their benefit at the expense of what I believe every partner, uh, and, and you know, like strives to achieve, which is to leave the firm better than they found it. So in, in fact, for that next generation. And that, you know, people can argue, but that for us is very cultural. And so it's very, it's a part of our DNA. Those two things are the reason why I believe in the multidisciplinary model. So I'm sure you've had, we talked about the six years being sort of unprecedented in terms of the number of challenges that um, industry and business and the world has faced. Um, as you reflect on your time as global chair, um, are there any particular challenges that really do feel painful? Or is there any sort of real key learning from those searing challenges that you might have had? Well, there's definitely learnings in them all. Some, some uh, especially early on, were incredibly, uh, incredibly painful. Um, but I would say this, Bina, the, the, probably the biggest learning is you never, ever uh, count out our team. Even, even in the face of the, the, the most challenging sort of hurdle, that could be internal, external, sort of like uh, marketplace-driven, whatever it might be, when you put a group of uh, our team members in a room and ask them to solve the toughest problem or challenge or opportunity, whatever you want to sort of uh, face, I have always uh, sort of been inspired by, one, the ability to sort of like come together as a group, irrespective of where they all sort of start from, and then secondly, coalesce around just solving the challenge. And if I think about those toughest, darkest moments, it was always solved by a group of people uh, really facing into it and never giving up, never giving up. Even when it looks like you're down and out, I, I, I never write them off. They're, they're, they're impressive and inspiring. As you look forward, Bill, what gives you cause for optimism? Well, it's an amazing, it's, it, it's an amazing moment in time. It's an amazing moment in history. I think that, uh, I, I think that, you know, people will look at this and say history faces an incredible sort of number of challenges, but I look at it and think history faces, has always faced challenges, but imagine being able to be part of the solution in today's world. And, and every person who, who wakes up every day and comes to work in our organization in every corner of the globe has a direct opportunity to make an impact on the most significant challenges that society faces. That is a pretty, uh, is, is a 
pretty amazing opportunity for anybody and certainly for me to to be humbled and honored to to lead that team I, I mean it's it's incredible if you could go back to the younger bill <laughs> what bit of advice would you give yourself if I could go back being I, th I think I would uh, really think about you know um, taking my time a little more um, recognizing that the experiences on the journey uh, make the journey sort of that much better. So to face into those experiences, to savor those experiences, um, not to, you know, not to be as anxious as I was on, on the toughest uh, situations and, um, and as maybe sort of confident in what I thought were the easiest ones because the highs are never as high as sort of they appear to be. And the lows are really never as low. But if you're an extremist and you manage to both of those, I think I would probably soften it out a bit. So, Bill, what sustains you beyond work? Wow, that's an easy one. I have uh, I have uh, four people at home. Well, now five. My uh, So my wife and my three kids. And now my oldest daughter is now married. So my four kids, I mean, they're definitely uh, sort of why I get up every morning and, and do this job. And as, as we talked about earlier, they're all in that 20-something age group. So I feel like uh, I'm, getting, I'm getting as much about uh, what I need to do to uh, or what, how I need to act to sort of uh, do this job as I am about how to sort of try and be the best dad I can uh, be and the best husband I can be. But, I mean, they've always sustained me in this role from day one. So I wouldn't be here talking to you if it wasn't for them. Well, thank you for your leadership of our firm and thank you for all the support you've given me personally. But as I sort of reflect on the conversation we've just had, you know, I, what I do take away is your definition around sustainable growth. Don't detract and try and enhance. I think it's a lovely way of articulating something, which is make the positive impact, but be realistic about it. I think that's what I, that's what I take away from this. Um, talent, tech, and ESG. I think those are the three core bits that really underpin our bits. I mean, it sum, summarizes where, where you focused a lot of energy and where we focus uh, our energy. Um, lifelong learner, what I know about Bill now, lifelong learner embraces all the experiences, good and bad, but most importantly, inspire fellowship. Well, thank you. thank you, Bina. This is great. Uh, I, I feel very honored to have been on this. And even more importantly, thank you for your leadership. And thanks for doing this. I think this is great for your audience to, uh, to do this. So uh, thank you so much for the opportunity. Thanks for joining me today on Pull Up A Chair, whether you're at home, at work, or somewhere in between. I do hope you'll join me next time for more insights from business leaders and thinkers on how to unlock sustainable growth that delivers to the needs of people, planet and profit. Goodbye.